We have one verse to cover this morning, and it is a small verse at that, but it is a verse that has massive implications for our lives and for this church. A while back, our pastors in our Tuesday afternoon meeting, we set apart today, July 10th, and called it Service Sunday, a day to highlight the various ministries and opportunities for service that exist here at First Baptist Nixa, and a day to recruit and enlist volunteers to serve in those ministries. And it is not by accident, nor by coincidence, but by divine providence, then, that we come to this particular verse in Romans chapter 12 on this particular Sunday, because this verse has three things to say to us with regard to our service in and through this church. Three things. Number one, member of First Baptist Nixa, you must do something. Do not be slothful in zeal. Paraphrase, do something. Number two, you must do it with passion. Be fervent in spirit. And number three, you must do it as unto Christ. Serve the Lord. This means that our goal this morning is not to get your name on a list. Our goal this morning is not to spiritually strong arm you into a ministry commitment from which the only escape is death or the return of Jesus. For this verse teaches us, among other things, that not all service is sanctified. Not all ministry, so-called, is holy. Not all activity is pleasing to the Lord. So we are not after this morning, and, and make no mistake, at the end of this service, we are going to call you to action. But we are not after your teeth-gritting, commitment-driven, I'll do it because it needs to be done effort. We are after your passionate, effective, and eternally significant service to the Lord Jesus Christ. In short, we are after your joy and the joy of those whom you will passionately and effectively serve for Jesus' sake. But this one little verse also has tremendous implications outside of church-related ministry. Rightly understood, all of life is to be rendered as service to the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul has, has much to say to us today about the way, husbands, that you love your wife. And the way, wives, that you serve your husbands. And the way, children, that you obey your parents, and the way, parents, that you raise your children, and the way, employees, that you serve your employers, and the way, employers, that you employ those who work for you. This verse has much to say to us about the way you mow your lawn, the way you cook dinner, 
the way you listen to a friend as she pours out her troubles over coffee. Everything. So we have a lot of work to do this morning in just these few words. We're going to approach this text by considering each of the three phrases of this verse in turn. And then we'll conclude by pondering their application to ministry in this church and then to all of life. The first and second phrases belong together like like two sides of the same coin, approaching the topic of service to the Lord from both the negative and the positive angles. Negatively stated, the command is this, do not be slothful in zeal. Now, those are two words, slothful and zeal, that are not in our common vocabulary. I don't usually tell my kids, quit being sloths. So we need some definition. What exactly is Paul coming at here? Well, the word translated slothful is the Greek word akneros. It's only used two other times outside of Romans 12, 11. Only two other times. And so we need to look at those two other occasions and they should provide some color and texture to the way Paul uses the word here. The first use is in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 26. In the midst of Jesus' parable of the talents, in which a wealthy man went on a long journey, but before he departed, he gathered his servants together and he entrusted them, each with a portion of his wealth and each according to their own ability. To one he gave five talents, which is equivalent to about a hundred years' wages. It's a lot of money. To another he gave two talents, or forty years' wages, which is still a lot of money. And to a third, he gave one talent, or 20 years' wages. The one who was given the five talents invested it, put it to work, and he earned five talents more. He doubled his money. Likewise, the one who was given two talents invested it and doubled his money. But the third servant merely took what was given him, and he buried it in the the ground, hiding his master's money for safekeeping. And when the master returned from his long journey, he called his servants together in order to settle his accounts. Both the first and the second servants brought to their master their proceeds. They brought the fruit of their labors, and both of them heard from the master's lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But when the third servant, who had done nothing with the talent but just bury it in the ground, when he appeared before the master, he said this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is your own. But the master replied, You wicked and slothful servant, Akneros. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? 
Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Evidently, It's not a good thing to be slothful in the eyes of the Lord. So we can learn from Jesus' use of the word in this parable that slothful means something along the lines of a lazy indolence that results from a loveless unbelief. See, the difference between the good and faithful servants And the wicked and slothful servant was not just that the good and faithful servants put their talents to work. They they invested them in order to seek a return for the master whom they loved. While the wicked and slothful servant simply hid his talent in a hole in the ground. That's, That's the surface level difference, but the real difference lies much deeper than that. Down to the very way that they viewed their master and the service that he required. The good and the faithful servants invested their talents out of a love for their master and a desire to please him, while the wicked and slothful servant viewed his master as a hard man whom you did not want to cross and whom you could not love. Better not to take risks with such a man. See, the difference isn't just what they did, but in how they related to the master. In Jesus' view, a slothful servant is a worthless servant who has no part in his everlasting kingdom because he has no faith and no love for the everlasting king. The second place where the word slothful appears is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Only other place in the New Testament. Matthew 25, 26, Romans 12, 11, and Philippians 3, 1. The ESV actually translates it as trouble, interestingly. Paul writes, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things, the same things to you, is no trouble, akneros, no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. King James does a little better job of translating. It says, it is not grievous to me. Paul's point is that reminding the Philippians of what he had already told them time and time again was not to him a a grievous, tedious, toilsome, troublesome, irksome task, but rather he was glad to do it because it resulted in their spiritual welfare. The way he viewed the task of addressing them in the same things over and over again was not as a grievous chore, but as a joyful delight. So to be slothful is to view labor, service, ministry, work as grievous, troublesome, irksome, and therefore to be avoided like the plague. The opposite is to view labor or service as a joy and as an opportunity to serve Christ and to serve others for Christ's sake. So we've got some color, some texture to the word slothful. And Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be slothful in zeal. 
The word zeal is the second important word in that phrase. It's the Greek word spude, from which its usage elsewhere, from its usage elsewhere, we know means diligence, careful attention, earnestness, or haste. I'll give you one of the 14 or 15 examples of places it's used in the New Testament. It helps kind of give us an idea of what it means to be zealous. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter uses the word like this. He says, for this very reason, make every effort, spude, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness and your steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen very closely. Verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice very carefully what Peter says in these verses. He says, make every effort, be zealous. To see these fruits developing in your life, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Be zealous to see those fruits born in your life because if they are and if they are increasing in this way, you'll make it into the kingdom. Entrance will be provided for you into the kingdom. And if they're not there... You will not enter the kingdom is the implication of verse 11. Let me ask you this question. What kind of diligence, what kind of zeal, what kind of earnestness, what kind of careful attention ought you you to give to the bearing of this kind of spiritual fruit if you know that your entrance into the everlasting kingdom depends on these fruits being present and increasing? Got the idea of what Paul means now when he says, don't be slothful in zeal? This is the kind of zeal, diligence, earnestness that he's calling for in Romans 12, 11. So taken together, taking, taking these verses and these words and now, and now coming with this definition into Romans 12, 11, we get a rich and textured picture of what Paul is saying to us in this first phrase. He's saying, don't be lazy, unproductive, inattentive. Don't be lacking in diligence or earnestness. Don't view work or labor or ministry or service as some sort of toilsome, troublesome, grievous chore to be avoided because it's taking you away from what you really love. Don't be like that. Don't just blithely meander through life doing the least amount that's required of you. Whether at work or in your home, or in your local church. Don't be a sloth, beloved. Be zealous. Work hard. Be diligent. Get things done. Be effective. Here's the word I'm going to use. Be productive. Be a productive person. But that's not all. You see, if all Paul said was 
do not be slothful in zeal, one could easily get the idea that what matters most in this world is productivity. Just getting things done. But that's not what he's after. Work and service and labor and ministry, that's not the end goal. So Paul adds a second phrase. Do not be slothful in zeal, turn the coin, be fervent in spirit. The word translated fervent literally means be boiling. Be heated up to boiling over. Be brimming with passion. And that's our second word, passion. This word, it's the Greek word zeo, is only used one other time. This is an interesting verse. Paul's using rare words in this verse. It's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, and that's found in Acts 18.25 where it's used to describe Apollos, a man whom Luke describes as something of a firebrand. A man who is passionately and boldly speaking the gospel of Christ in the synagogue of Ephesus. A man whom you get the idea couldn't have been shut up if he had tried. He's just boiling over with with fervent zeal for Jesus. And Paul says, be like that. Fervent is a word that always touches on the emotions. It is a deep, heartfelt, passionate fervor whether for good or for evil. It's the opposite of the word apathetic, which means unfeeling or numb or ambivalent. This is a feeling word, fervency. Paul wants us to boil with passion for Christ. And so we have two phrases that together paint a portrait of the kind of person God wants us to be. The first phrase is a warning against laziness. Don't be slothful in zeal. Simply another way of saying, be productive. Work hard. Be diligent. Do something. The second phrase is a corrective against tedious, nose-to-the-grindstone, heartless labor. But in your doing something, be fervent in spirit. Be passionate. Be boiling. Feel something. So the first phrase, do something. And the second phrase, in your doing, feel something. So we put them together and what we have here is a call for what I'm calling passionate productivity. That's what God wants from us today. That's what he wants from us in Romans 12.11. He wants passionate productivity. And he wants this in every one of his children. So don't make the mistake of thinking that some people are doers and some people are feelers. No. This verse reminds us that doers must also be feelers and feelers must also be doers. Now you are going to be more prone to one way or the other depending on how you're naturally wired. Some of you are bent toward pragmatism. And in your pragmatism, you have a tendency to be coldly efficient. You just grind out whatever needs to be done. 
You do it because it needs to be done, and you end up resenting those who don't. Whether it's stocking shelves at the grocery store, or crunching numbers at the office, or cleaning the house, or playing with your kids, or teaching Connect, or volunteering at Awana, you're a doer. These are the types who tend to volunteer for everything and make everybody else miserable because they seem to be so utterly unhappy in their service. To these types, Romans 12, 11 says, feel something, boil for Christ. Now some others of you are bent the other way. You're bent towards passion. And in your passion, you have a tendency to just sit around thinking and feeling. And meanwhile, the lawn never gets cut, and the dishes never get washed, and the house never gets clean, and a thousand other of life's necessities just tend to fall through the cracks. And you're generally fairly hesitant to volunteer for ministry because, guess what, you're not feeling it. You do things when you feel like them. Feeling drives you. To you, Romans 12, 11 says, do something. Be productive. And it's calling us to take both of these and to merge them into one and to say, we need both productivity and passion. Your job, your Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, needs your productivity and your passion. Our homes, our marriages need both productivity and passion. This church needs your productivity and your passion. Our aim is to be some sanctified combination of both Martha and Mary. All wrapped up into one, not either or, both and. But there's one more phrase that needs to be added in order for this to be a Christian sermon. Because we could stop right here, close it up, and you would have a pretty good moralistic encouragement to go out there and just be better on your job and be better in your families. And it could have just as easily come from a Muslim mosque or a Mormon pulpit or Jehovah's Witnesses Kingdom Hall. So we need something else to make this a Christian message. And that's why the third phrase is there. So you don't have to have the Holy Spirit to be productive or passionate. Case in point. Abortion rights activists are passionately productive in their campaign to maintain a woman's right to slay her unborn child upon the altar of convenience. You you won't find more passionately productive people in the world. Wall Street stockbrokers are passionately productive as they chug away at their 16-hour workdays as they pursue the God of wealth. You'd be hard-pressed to find more passionately productive people than those who are on Wall Street. So encouraging you to pursue passionate productivity may make you successful in business and effective in many arenas of life, but it will not help you to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, which is the chief end of man. For that, you need the third phrase. You must add to your productivity and your passion 
a Christ-exalting purpose. Paul says, serve the Lord. Now the call of Romans 12 is complete. Here it is. Be passionately productive in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today is service Sunday. And we're going to conclude this service by focusing upon some opportunities for you to serve Christ in and through the various ministries of First Baptist Nixa. But I don't want you to walk away from this message thinking that service to Christ only includes church-related ministries or even those activities which are distinctly Christian. I think what Paul has in mind is much broader than that. I think what we have in Romans 12, 11 is an all-encompassing view of life, applying just as much to our marriages as to our ministries. What Paul has to say in Romans 12, 11 applies to our jobs, our homes, and indeed to every sphere of our life. And let me tell you where I get this idea, that all of life is to be conceived of as service to the Lord and therefore is to be pursued with passionate productivity. For the purpose of exalting Jesus. It comes from Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to turn there with me. I want you to get it in front of you. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 18. Paul addresses three different relationships. Encompassing three different arenas. Three different relationships. Husband, wife. Parents, child. Servants and masters which we could carry over into today's terms to apply to employers and employees. In three different arenas, marriage, family, and the job. Paul says this, 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, focus in on the next sentence, for you are serving the Lord Christ. You're washing your master's clothes. I mean, what do servants do? You're tending your master's fields. You're you're driving, plowing with your master's ox. You're keeping your master's house. Paul says, you're not serving your master, not ultimately. In your clothes watching, your field plowing, you're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Do you see how Paul expresses every exhortation as a way of serving and pleasing Christ? Every one of them. Wives are to submit to their husbands as unto Christ, it says in the parallel in Ephesians 5.22. Ephesians 5.25 says husbands are to love their wives. How? 
as Christ has loved the church. Children are to obey their parents. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. Fathers are not to provoke or discourage their children, but rather are to raise them up, Ephesians 6, 4, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, employees, are to serve your masters, employers, as though you were serving Christ. Masters, employers, are to treat your servants, your employees, justly and fairly. Why? Because you have a master who sits at the right hand of the Father. You see what this means? When wives serve their husbands, they are ultimately serving Jesus. So wives, you should view your service to your husbands as a way of pleasing and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, wives, what can you do today to serve your husband in a way that serves Jesus? When husbands love and care for their wives... Cherishing, nourishing, protecting, leading, all of those wonderful words that are there in that Ephesians 5 passage, you are ultimately serving Christ. How? By providing for your family a living portrait of the way that Christ loves and cares for his bride, which is the church. So you ought to think about relating to your wife in this way. How can I love, nourish, and protect my wife in such a way that it displays the glory of Jesus and therefore serves and exalts Him? So husbands, how are you going to love your wife today in such a way that it brings Jesus glory? Children, did you know that when you obey your parents, you are bringing glory to Jesus? The way you clean your room All the way, right away, with a happy heart. The way you do your chores, emptying the dishwasher, setting the table, the way you do that will either make Jesus look great or it will dishonor your family and dishonor Christ. So the way that you honor your parents is a reflection of the way that you honor and esteem Jesus. Think about that when your parents ask you to do something today. Not only doing it, but the way I do it. Passionately productive for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. Kids, I want you to clean your room passionately and productively in order to glorify Jesus. Parents, the way you love and teach your children has an eternal impact upon whether or not they grow to love and serve and follow Christ. What Jesus do you present to them? You can present to them a Jesus worth following with joy or a Jesus who must be served out of fear or perhaps a Jesus to whom you only give lip service once a week on Sunday mornings. Which Jesus do you present to them? Employees. It's most of us here. This passage in Colossians, along with today's text from Romans 12, 11, calls you to give passionate productivity on the job tomorrow. Why? Because ultimately you work for Jesus. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's an astounding statement, isn't it? It ought to radically transform the way you clock in tomorrow. 
In a very real sense, your work orders for tomorrow come from the right hand of the throne. Does that change the way you're going to go into work tomorrow? The way you approach your job, the way you perform your tasks? So ask yourself this question, what can I do on the job tomorrow morning to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving my employer? And employers, which is more than a handful of you here, how you treat your employees tomorrow is a reflection of how you view your employer, who is Christ. Does your leadership exalt and glorify Jesus before their eyes? In every one of these realms, marriage, family, home, and work, God calls every one of us, husbands, wives, parents, children, employers, employees, every one of us are called by this text to passionate productivity for the purpose of exalting Jesus. So viewed in this way, there is no meaningless service. There is no meaningless chore at home. There is no meaningless task at work. Nothing is meaningless. Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Or, as Paul says in Romans 12, don't be slothful in zeal tomorrow morning when you get home today. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be passionately productive for the purpose of exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end by asking this question. Does anybody actually live that way? Does anybody actually wake up on a Monday morning and as they're driving to work, they're thinking, I'm going to be passionately productive for the purpose of exalting you today. And then they go in and they stock their grocery store shelves. Does anybody actually do that? I want to say to you, yes, and they're called Christians. They are those who live all of their lives quorum Deo, which means before the face of God. On the job site, they are working before the face of God. At home, they are serving before the face of God. In Awana, in Connect, in their ministries, we are serving before the face of God. And therefore, they are those who walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment. They are those who aptat. You remember that from last week? Acknowledge, pray, trust, act, thank. They are those who aptat their way through their day. Seeking and trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit so that they may be passionately productive at home and at work and at church and in their marriage, and in their family, and on their jobs, and in ministry. This is how you live the transformed life. By faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that you can be passionately productive for the purpose of serving Christ. In this series, in Romans 12, over the summer, we are exploring the theme of what it means to live transformed. A life which Romans 12, 1-2 calls us to live. And in every sermon so far, we tried to employ a similar title. The introductory message from verses 1 and 2 is entitled, Transformed, Living Inside Out. In other words, what's inside is, is being lived out. Then came verses 3-8 to eight in which we explored how each member of the church is gifted to serve one another in the body of Christ. We called that transformed to serve. 
Last week was transformed to love from verse 9 through 11 as we saw what genuine love within the body of Christ looks like. And so in preparing this morning's message, I tried to find a word, right? A word that would capture the essence of this text and what it's calling us to do. And so I thought about transformed to feel. And I didn't quite go far enough. What about doing? Well, then I thought about transformed to minister. That didn't quite go far enough. What about feeling? How to capture the Christ-exalting purpose of our passionate productivity? How do we do that? What's a word? I wanted a word. And finally, I landed on one. It's there at the top of your page. It comes from Matthew 5.16 where Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And there it was. I had it. Shine. You have been transformed to shine. That's what Paul is calling you to in Romans 12.11. Because, let me tell you what, almost nobody does this. Do you know who shines in the midst of this dark world? Productive people shine. They stand like a stark contrast before the sloths of this world who you can't get to do anything. Who are afraid of words like work and labor and effort and just sort of slug through life doing the least amount required of them. Productive people shine. You know who else shines? Passionate people shine. They stand in stark contrast to those who grind through life, the Monday to Friday, nine to five, with a joyless sense of duty, always just doing what needs to be done, but never seeming to be happy about it. And finally, a person who lives their life for this one aim, that Christ may be glorified in my passionate productivity. Those people shine. Those who shine because they have a life-altering, joy-sustaining sense of purpose in all that they do. They know why they exist on this earth. They know why they do what they do. They know why they have the job that they have. They know why they're here. And they know that what they do matters eternally. They shine. That is what we want to be here at First Baptist Nixon. That's the call of this text. Jesus transforms us in order to shine for his glory through our passionate productivity for the purpose of exalting his name. So in light of this text and this message, how should you respond on this service Sunday? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to determine to pour out your life in passionate, productive ministry to Jesus Christ. Some of you are already doing that. Some of you are already speaking the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in a variety of contexts. And that's great if you are. Keep it up. But some of you aren't. Perhaps you're here this morning and you find yourself something like the slothful servant in Jesus' parable making no investment week by week. You always intend to, but it never happens. Making no investment into the everlasting kingdom of Christ. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to repent. 
And I want you to determine to change by the power of the Spirit. And I want you to find a ministry today that you can pour your life into. Maybe you should go tell the people of Cuba how they can receive the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through Jesus' name. Maybe you should go to Nicaragua next summer to serve the poor with the gospel of Christ and in practical acts of mercy. Maybe you should go to Oklahoma City prisons in September and proclaim freedom for the captives through the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you should give an hour on Sunday nights to disciple kids with the gospel of Jesus and help them become lifelong followers of Christ through our Awana ministry. Maybe you should take on a connect class and help groups of adults or groups of kids connect to God by connecting to his word. Maybe you should volunteer in our preschool or, or nursery departments providing for precious little ones a fun and safe place while their parents go and give attention to the word of God and to the nourishment and health of their souls. Helping them be better parents so that when they pick them up, they're nourished. Whatever it is, find a ministry in and through which you may speak the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and then pour your passion, your energy, your very self into this ministry for the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, find a place of darkness and shine the light of Christ into it. And then on the last day, you will hear these words from your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the joy of your master. My father, we need your help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come. I pray that you would grant repentance. We've covered a lot of areas. It's hard not to when you have a verse that encompasses all of life. And so I pray that repentance will come for the way that we've served in our homes and in our marriages and on the job site and in this church. I pray that you would grant repentance and I pray that you would grant a renewed fervor, a passion to serve Jesus by serving others. Would you bring fruit out of this text and out of this message and out of this day? Deal with our hearts as we have this time of response and then call us to go with renewed hearts and to sign up in these ministries that are scattered around the back of the sanctuary. And to go with renewed passion onto the job sites tomorrow. And to go with renewed fervor into our homes and into our roles as parents and husbands and wives. I ask that you would transform us now by your word. So that we may boil for Christ. For it's in his name that we pray.